Majestic Pressure Points with your two terrorist hosts. I'm D. This is AJ. We're hitting you with Season 4, Episode 5, The Golden Age of Hijacking. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at Points O Pressure. Don't buy those tickets for your flights just yet. Even with the you know airplane businesses all going out of going out of business, <laughs> I still can't afford an airplane ticket, so you don't have to worry about yeah, that. Yeah, all right. Oh god, and those prices are just going to get better and better, right? Oh yeah, as they more and more go out of business, <laughs> and then they return all the broken planes from before back to service. Yeah, exactly. You know anything fun this week? Uh, I got a haircut. Fancy. I You're looking finally fresh. did it. Yeah, and the first time I saw AJ since we recorded last, he didn't even comment on it. So this is me formally resigning from my post on points of pressure because he doesn't even care about me. Uh, no, nah, I got it because I looked more shitty than I always do. Oh yeah, I got a and, mullet uh, growing now on accident. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, you got a Fuck, little bad. little cute head of hair there. Um, but yeah, I was like, I'm going back into office. I should probably look slightly normal. Slightly. Yeah, I should look not as quarantiny as I did before. Yeah, I look. Fucking awful. But, ah, you know, we all do. I, I'm planning to fix that this this coming week. Oh, I well, believe in you. Yeah. I believe in you. I hope so. We'll see. Oh, goodness. So what's new? Oh, you know, hijacked an airplane. Weeks. Oh, good. That's yeah, great. You know, didn't do anything. <laughs> nothing crazy. <laughs> nothing crazy. Oh, yeah. man. Well, since literally nothing has happened, I'm going to be honest. The past two weeks have been kind of boring. And it is it's such so good. a nice change of pace. It's so I can finally relaxing. focus on my depression and anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to worry about what's going on just on the planet. Even though there was, you know, that coup that happened. Oh, Jesus, and, really, though. Uh, a glacier destroyed a dam somewhere in India and killed a bunch of people. But nothing happened to me, yeah, but so that's all that matters. nothing happened to me personally, so it's fine. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, a couple of uneventful weeks since... It's a nice change of pace. I do need to formally apologize. Oh no! What to did you, you do? and everyone else for last week for being the most sleepy host in the history of podcasts? You were just asleep in the chair Holy over there the whole time. Shit, dude! The last half of that episode, I was just like, "Fucking gross! I'm gonna die." <laughs> I can't tell you. I should have counted, but I would have fallen asleep and forgotten how many yawns I made. It was a lot. It was so many, and I was like, "Oh god, I was dying." I fell asleep like right after I got home. Uh, so let's get into it. Let's get going. Uh, AJ hijacks a plane, and we're gonna talk about the literal golden age of hijacking airplanes uh, from like 1961 to 1972. There was an average of one plane hijack per week. In the United <laughs> States. Just in the United States. Yeah, just That's in the U.S. Crazy. Uh, so we'll start it off. I'm going to do a little bit towards the end, and a lot of people are going to go, oh, my God, another fucking episode about D.B. Cooper. This is not all about D.B. Cooper. That's not where my focus is. Um, That's, a side, that's yeah. a side effect. He's just he's just my first one. Everybody knows about him. Fuck it. And talk about it anyway for those who don't know. So. Uh, Dan Cooper, November 1971, bought a ticket from Portland to Seattle. And this was generally about a 30-minute flight, which 
I've been on a 45-minute flight myself, and it feels like the most pointless thing in the world. <laughs> it, like, I could have driven this in, like, six hours, whatever. I flew from, like, JFK to Boston. And I'm not even kidding, dude. We take off, and they're like, uh, we've reached altitude. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I unbuckle, and they're like, please buckle back up. We're beginning our descent into Boston. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? What the <laughs> hell? It was the stupidest flight in the world. So- D.B. Cooper was out doing me and pulling a 30-minute flight. Uh, once aboard, he grabs his flight attendant, and he puts a note in, like, in her hand. And she, I'm assuming in the 70s, she's been sexually harassed about 50 times this week, today. Who knows? Um, <laughs> so she just, she, like, gracefully, oh, thanks, puts it in her pocket, and he kind of grabs her arm again, and he goes, no, I need you to read that note. She's like, what the fuck? And he goes, I have a bomb in a briefcase. That's what the note says. So she pulls it out and reads it, which props to her for not losing her mind. Reads it out. And uh, she she went on record saying it was in all caps and it was very nice penmanship. Oh, good. And it was just, uh, I have a bomb in my briefcase and my request is $200,000. Oh, is that all? That's or, all yeah. Or you blow the plane up. Yeah. So... Um, she doesn't lose her shit, and her response is, "Can I see it?" <laughs> so he opens Damn, his briefcase out on his bullshit. He opens his briefcase, and he's got. She said there were like five, like red cylindrical things in there. Yeah, they look like sticks of dynamite. Yeah, yeah, and she's like, "Oh, this guy's fucking serious." Because um, <laughs> she's probably used to people threatening that she's all the time. Like, she's like, oh, my God, another <laughs> one? This has been going on for 10 fucking years. <laughs> so um, she, after she was like – after they landed, she was interviewed, and she goes, yeah, he was just a really polite, soft-spoken dude. When he first sat down, he ordered a bourbon and a soda. Beautiful. And just politely finished them, sat in a seat, did his thing. And – after she sees the bomb, he orders another bourbon and soda, <laughs> and he pays his drink tab in full, offers to request meals and buy them for the entire flight crew during the Seattle stop because they're going to fly into Seattle, not leave. They'll just stop. He'll get his money. They'll take off. They'll be followed by a bunch of planes, and then whatever happens. How happens. nice of him. I like, know. Yeah. That's they so were polite. So, they were so polite back then. Now it's like- if somebody threatens a plane, it's like, shoot it out of the fucking sky. <laughs> like, yeah. They're like, how many civilians are on board? Yeah, we can handle 300 deaths. 300 deaths, but one terrorist <laughs> dead? Right. Fine. That's God. that's that's acceptable. It's either he blows up this plane or we blow up this plane. The <laughs> we do not is negotiate ours. with terrorists. God, dude. So... <laughs> I will be one of <laughs> You know, this guy should do it. Like, it's funny because so many of these... I shouldn't say funny because I'm sure at the time people were fucking traumatized from it. But now to think of like a a hijacking once per week, you're like, holy shit, that's insane. But it was probably just a normal thing. They're like, oh, my God, another one of these. Like I'm on a business flight. I realize I don't want to go home and see my wife and our, and our dumb kids, but I don't want to die. That would be me back in the yeah. early, the late 60s. And oh, I'd yeah. I'd be a, an angry fucking boomer, dude. Oh, I'd be an I angry would. drunk. I'd be such an angry son of a bitch. Mm -hmm. Still am. Yeah, um, weird. So 
I'm just I'm impressed that he wanted to buy meals for everybody. He goes, you know what? Lunch is on me. So <laughs> the FBI gets to Seattle Airport and they give him ten thousand twenty dollar bills and send it on board. Now, what they had done is they made sure that all of the bills were issued between 1963 and 1969, and all of the bills start with, like, their, their serial numbers are start with the letter L. So they're like, oh, this will be easier, easier for us to yeah. track it. They documented all the serial numbers yeah, and exactly, everything. exactly, yeah. So uh, he sits with the crew, and, like, they put all the shutters in the plane down, and I'm assuming he's just making sure it's all there. Uh, fuck if I know. So- he goes to the pilot and says, all right, I'm ready for us to take off, but I want us to take off with the emergency hatch open. And the pilot goes, that's not going to happen. It's going to depressurize and we're all going to die. <laughs> and D.B. Cooper goes, okay, that's fine. He's like, I don't think that it would depressurize, but whatever. Yeah, so Whatever still, you say, you're the, yeah, you're the specialist. He still closes it. They take off and they've got five other planes that are following them. And... At one point, well, they're they're flying for a little bit, and uh, Mr. Cooper walks up to all of the attendants and the crew, and he says, all right, uh, everyone go into the cockpit. And they're like, okay, for sure. So they all start walking up to the cockpit, and before they close the door, they look back, and Cooper's tying something around his waist. But he was really far in the back of that plane. So they're like, what the fuck? They couldn't see very well. As soon as they close the door... Uh, the <laughs> light for cabin pressure turns on and uh, they're like, oh, he probably just opened the hatch and he's jumping out. But the five planes trailing them don't have like none of the pilots recall seeing him jump. None of them saw his like parachute, nothing. So they're like, OK, well, he's probably still on the flight. We don't know why he opened the shit up. And none of them were like, okay, there was a distinctive point during this little flight that we might have seen him. They couldn't pinpoint an exact location. So they close the hatch um, and land. And uh, nobody nobody can find him on the flight. They're like, uh, okay, well, maybe he's just hiding. So they do this like really, really in-depth arm search. Can't find a thing. So... I mean, it's D.B. Cooper. Everybody's heard about him. Uh, what happened to D.B.? Where are you, D.B. Cooper? They, The FBI searched for him for years. Uh, they had a list of like a thousand people that they were like, oh, yeah, this might be D.B. Cooper, but it was all inconclusive. Mm -hmm. So, if D.B., if you're listening, keep it up. I'm proud <laughs> of you. You're doing great, man. Are you going to go into the money at all? No, nah, no. Nah. Do you know so more about that? I know that? a little bit about the money. There's yeah. n never been a time documented that any of the dollar bills have ever been used or recovered in circulation banks document these serial numbers yeah for things like tracing this because if they you know realize oh he jumped out of the airplane and then he, in cincinnati all these serial numbers matching the ones in a, in the case started to be used they can search in cincinnati not a single one of those bills has been found i think somebody found like a bundle of money in a river somewhere my guess is he just got sucked out he was like, oh, yeah, like, I can jump out of here, open up the emergency hatch, and it just sucked him out, and he probably lost consciousness, like, got whiplash, fell, and just died. And but but he was an experienced, just, like, maybe parach parachuteur. 
Yeah, I don't know. Par- uh, paratrooper. It, it looked like he was experienced by the, I think one of the stewardess said, like he knew his way around a parachute yeah, so when maybe. he was putting it on. But yeah. he was like, he was very tactical about everything, about how he strapped the money onto him, how he like arranged all of his, all of his shit. I mean, and, I, I don't yeah, think he, he would have gone in super unprepared. Yeah, no, he, he knew his shit. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's odd. Yeah, it's definitely he probably an just one. dumped it. He's like, "Fuck this!" Like, honestly, with all of the activism behind the uh, hijackings during the time, it wouldn't surprise me if he was like, "Yeah, I just fucked the FBI out of two hundred k." Cool. Yeah, like I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was just like, "Okay, well, I'll do this. I'll just drop the money when I'm parachuting down. I'll land somewhere and just go back to my regular life." Like. Fuck yeah. the police. I mean, mind you, this is pre-Reagan before the rich really started getting richer. So it was just like, oh, yeah, money. It could have been a very a anti-government deal. thing more than an anti-money yeah. thing. That's I true. could certainly see that. Um, so let's see. A few years or the next year, June 2nd, 1972, there's one called Western Airlines Flight 701. And this was from L.A. to uh to Seattle, and it was hijacked by Willie Roger Holder and his girlfriend, Catherine Marie Kirkow. Now, Willie was a Vietnam vet, <clears throat> and I mean, I really do not blame any of those guys for being like, oh, uh, fuck the government entirely. So uh, they claimed that they had a bomb, and they demanded $500,000. And that Angela Davis, uh, who was on trial at the time, that she would be free. Now, Angela Davis was arrested in connection with a shooting that took place in a courthouse. And she was like a, a – she proclaimed herself as a communist. And so a lot of people were like, oh, fuck you, Angela Davis. She was an African-American woman standing up for civil rights. And, well, if you know American history, yeah, the government hated that shit. So – uh, Willie and Catherine were like, look, give us 500K, release Angela, nobody gets hurt, we'll be fine. So uh, they drop half the passengers off in San Francisco, and then they fly all the way to New York after refueling, and they drop off the other half. And they get their $500,000, they fuel up in New York, and they book it the fuck out of there, and they go to Algeria. And they actually were granted political asylum in Algeria. Yeah, I know. Cool. Amazing, right? So uh, it was kind of standard at the time for a lot of people to request Cuba or a lot of the Southern American countries because they were like, oh, we're going to be cleared. We'll be fine. Which in this case, yeah, you're set. So they get to Algeria, political asylum. They're all set. And they ended up joining the international section of the Black Panther Party. And um, later on, years later, $488,000 of that ransom money was returned back to American officials. And it kind of confirms what we talked about that, like, they just, a lot of these people didn't care about the money. They're like, no, this is a statement and you're going to do these things for us. Uh, Angela Davis was later acquitted in 1973 of all the charges, and she only served mm. like a year, and then they pulled her out. They were like, nope. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, did you just sneak in a feel good? I did story into did. this podcast. Yeah. How dare you? Angela Davis was acquitted. Charges were dropped, and she went on to be fairly successful with um, her civil rights campaigning and just helping more African Americans avoid situations that that she, like what she ran into. So, I know. How it's, dare you? It's insane. It's like a a fucked up situation, and I'm not putting a dark spin on all of it. Just, it's okay. I'll make up for it next week. Yeah, I'll, I'll get back to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, this next one, it's it's a little bit heftier. I have a lot more information on it. However, oh, excuse me. Um, over the next few weeks, uh, you guys are going to get kind of a bunch of linked episodes. It's not really like a series. It's not like, oh, hey, this event is directly linked, like, part one, part two, part three. It's honestly just sheer luck and happenstance that all of these things are correlated. It's... It's pretty cool. It's kind of cool, yeah. Yeah. So, in a couple weeks, we are going to have on... um, We're going to have on a guest, kind of unprecedented for AJ and I. Somebody actually wants to come talk to us that isn't the police. and (laughs) Or the uh, FBI. Yeah, or the FBI. Uh, his name is Bear, and he is. We'll we'll probably have a little bit more information on the like in two episodes, uh, on his background and his like what this guy does. Kickass historian. Fucking honestly, I texted my girlfriend earlier today, and I was like, talking with Bear went super well. I was like, he's basically just a clone of AJ, but from North but, Carolina and smart. Yeah, from North Carolina and actually is almost- Knows what he's talking about. Yeah, knows what the fuck he's doing. So, uh, he's going to come on and talk about um, Oak Ridge, which I don't want to get too into it. I don't want to spoil a lot of things, but uh, Oak Ridge had a uh, nuclear reactor there. And so, he'll he'll give all the details. I'm going to grace over it a little bit in a couple weeks- I'm going to talk about somebody else that I'll talk about at the end. Little little foreshadowing there just to burn up time and to hype <laughs> up the next, honestly, the next few weeks of episodes. Yeah, my next week is going to be uh, not that well thought out. That's okay. But, you know, horrible. More horrible, <laughs> potentially. More horrible, yeah. Okay, so starting out uh, <clears throat> a few months after... Um, Willie and Catherine, in November 1972, Southern Airways Flight 49 was going to fly out from Birmingham, Alabama, to Memphis, Tennessee. And three guys by the names of Melvin Kale, Lewis Moore, and Henry Jackson boarded. Now, uh, Lewis Moore and Henry Jackson were both, and I mean all of the, all three of the guys were, uh, activists in Detroit due to the Detroit riots in 1967. I'll get into a little bit of that, but I want to do a full episode on Detroit, which this is going to be the first one of, well, that's going to be one of the episodes that's linked because it's, it's just fucked. So fantastic. A uh, little backstory on Detroit. Um, in 1967, uh, the, Police were doing a lot of racially motivated 
shutdowns and no. seizures of um, African-American-owned clubs. Some of them were illegally run. They didn't have, like, business licenses, but good luck getting a fucking business license in 1960s Detroit mm-hmm. when you're African-American, like, for fuck's sakes. Seriously. So, um, Louis and Henry both were close friends, and they had run into issues with the police where they had spoken up about it. Uh, I'll get into more details in another episode. But uh, at one point, they were accused by the police of committing nine rape cases, uh, two assaults with intent to rape, and one gross indecency case. Both of these guys. So, Damn. Yeah, dude. Uh, and the police were harassing the fuck out of these guys, like literally threatening their families, saying like showing them pictures of their wives, saying, hey, look. Uh, you don't cut this shit out trying to shut us down. You're going to wake up next to your wife and she's going to be horribly disfigured. You're never going to see your face normal again. So feel good moments gone. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So back to the flight, though. Just a little uh, background on these guys. Um, so there were 26 passengers, one infant, and four crew members on the flight to Memphis. And... About an hour or so after they took off, uh, the three guys stood up, pulled out guns, and they're like, we're holding this shit hostage, uh, and you are not going to Memphis. We're flying up to Detroit. Uh, Now, Louis Moore, Louis Moore, Louis Moore, I'm not positive. uh, He said that all three of them felt like they didn't have a choice. Uh, just because they were being wrongfully accused so heavily. Like, this was destroying these guys' lives. Uh, and their families, obviously, like I said, were being threatened. Um, and he just felt he needed to bring attention to what was actually happening in Detroit, which it's really fucked up that this is what he feels he needs to do to bring. Yeah, that's crazy. To bring light to what's actually going on. So... um. At the time, in the 70s and 60s, obviously, it was so vastly different from it, from how it is now. Obviously, now we're, we're post 9-11, so, like, you're getting fucking scanned like crazy. You've got to have all your shit checked. But back then, there was little to no screening of anyone that was getting onto a flight. Yeah, a lot of them didn't even have, like, metal detectors. Oh, yeah. And I mean, even... Even the ones that did, uh, passengers would walk on board. And, like, if they got scanned and it's like, oh, hey, uh, bro, what's what are you doing with this gun? They go, well, this is my – it's my right to carry it. Yeah, this is my personal firearm. Yeah, and, and like, TSA, which wasn't TSA at the time, was yeah. just like, oh, yeah, like, cool, no problem. Just uh, don't shoot a hole in the plane and yeah. be on your way, sir. So a lot of people boarded planes regularly with sidearms, which I can't even fucking like imagine being on a plane right now and you turn and someone that's not an air marshal and even an air marshal, like obviously you don't know, but you see Mm -hmm. somebody with a gun, you're like, oh, fuck, this isn't going to end well for any of us. Uh, Beer break. That's what that was. A little beer break there. So I'll join you. how, How sweet of you. Uh, <laughs> so they turn the flight, say we're going to, that they're going to Detroit 
and they demand $10 million in ransom. Uh, in their time that they were going to Detroit, they made a couple little stops. They got to Detroit, and then – oh, I felt like I was getting clipping there. Um, nope, it's good. Okay, cool. Uh, Just our headphones being weird. <sighs> fucking hell. Gotta <laughs> love it. So they make a couple stops to refuel to make sure that they can make it up there. And uh, they reached out to Detroit and said, hey, we want $10 million. And the city of Detroit was like, ah, shit. So they go into kind of a panic mode and they reach out to a couple different cities and basically approve $500,000 to be given to these three guys. And it was the first time in history that hijackers had blackmailed a city. Which, it's just like, holy shit. Um, That's the kind of record I want to hold one day. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, maybe on your next flight you got it. Now but, I'm not going to be... Now I'm, not, now I'm going to be randomly a, selected the next time I fly. But you on a no-fly list, buddy. Oh, thanks. Uh, now, the stops during the hijacking uh, included... There were like nine different stops that these guys took. And a lot of them were like back and forth. Like they'd fly from Detroit... To Lexington, to Chattanooga, back to Lexington, to like Cleveland. I mean, that's pretty smart. Yeah. Keep them so, guessing. So they're going, they went from, well, some of the places were like Cleveland, Detroit, Chattanooga, Toronto. Toronto? Yeah. And Detroit? Detroit. And Toronto. Yeah. Uh, and when they landed in Detroit, uh, Detroit. Officers, I don't fucking know. Somebody brings it out. They're like, hey, we've got your 500000 And these three say, no, we don't want your 500 k um, If we don't get our $10 million, we're flying this fucking plane into a nuclear reactor in Oak Ridge. So. <laughs> oh, is that all? Yeah. Not a big deal, I guess. Nah, it's fine. It's an, ain't nothing but a thing. Ain't nothing but a G thing. <laughs> so. Uh, they request to speak with uh, President Nixon at the time, uh, which I'd assume he already had the phones tapped, so he was already listening in on all the conversations. Yeah, he definitely had the phones <laughs> tapped by then. Yeah. So uh, they say, we are we need to speak with President Nixon or we're following through with this crash, whether you have $10 million or not. And uh, more later in on to say, you know, I was ready to die at that moment when we when we mentioned that. We were fucking ready to go. That was it. And so they fly to Chattanooga, Tennessee after their talk with Nixon. And Tennessee sets it up. They get like $2 million from from their stop there. Refuel. And they get 10 parachutes, 7 bulletproof vests, 7 crash helmets, medical supplies, 50 dinners, and several canvas bags. Damn, they did all right. Yeah, they did all right. But the thing that confuses me is that they're like, uh, what about the 26 passengers? Because the seven bulletproof vests, vests and crash helmets are only going to cover like the three hijackers and the four crew members. <laughs> so who like, cares about the? Just, who cares about them? I know they're like, eh, it's uh, eh. collateral. It's yeah. not a big deal. Uh, but I mean, at least they got the dinners, much like DB Cooper. At least they were they were thinking, yeah, about the members of the flight. So that's well, not the members of the flight's fault. Yeah, exactly. They didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, it's just the government. So 
they get this two million dollars and uh <laughs> they start handing it out to crew or not crew members they're handing out the money to passengers like Oh, one, that's nice. One guy was complaining about like, oh yeah, it was it was such a long flight, but they gave me two hundred and fifty dollars. And it's like, damn, it's not too bad. Two hundred and fifty back in then, the seventies. Yeah. yeah, that's not bad. Back at when all. it was like God a damn. quarter for a gallon of gas. Like shit, it's not bad. When you could buy a house for thirteen thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So these guys make their way to. I totally didn't just spill beer on my. Oh, leg. I didn't see. Oh, okay. Uh, so these guys make their way to Havana in Cuba. Perfect. And they're on their way. They're like, we're all set. And they start to get ready to land. They're almost, almost there. And uh, they lose permission to land in Cuba from Fidel Castro himself. Did the C- you think the CIA sent a message over to Castro? It's like, we won't try to execute you for a year if you block <laughs> these guys from landing. Right? Really, though. Uh, so what... I mean, over the last 10 years, people had been going to Cuba. It was kind of like, they're not going to extradite us there. Like, they don't have good relations with the U.S. It's close by. So why the fuck wouldn't we just go to Cuba with our money and book it the fuck out of there? So they land in Havana and immediately just have to, like, take off and they fly to, like, Key West and go to, like, Orlando and everything. There's a... There's an Air Force base in Orlando that they fly to. Yeah, that that's the yeah, proper yeah. thing to do. Re- like, reading through it, I was like, okay, these guys have got it. They're going to get it. They'll be set. And then I read, and then they had to land at a, an Air Force base in Orlando. I was like, what the fuck? Like, come on, Seriously. man. So, <laughs> they land at this Air Force base. And while they're landing, they're like, okay. If Cuba's not going to take us, there are those guys six months ago that they went to Algeria, so maybe we're set. The only problem was they mentioned it to the the pilot, and the pilot goes, that's way out of the range for this plane. We're not going to yeah. be able to fly all the way to Algeria with this thing. So they're like, um, okay. So they fly to Orlando. Well, they prep to fly to Orlando, and while they're, like, taking off – uh, the FBI shoots out two of their tires while they're while they're flying. <laughs> yeah. Oh. What? So. Oh my. Tires get shot out. That's and they're not like, good. God damn it, dude. We're we're totally fucked. And uh, let's see. Oh God, I completely missed this. So just well, no, they got their tires shot out and they hadn't taken off quite yet. But they get the co-pilot and put him up in one of the windows and they're like they're like stand up like. We're, we're going to have you stand up in one of the seats so that we can fucking shoot you in front of the oh, window God. so that these these officers know what they've done. So they shoot, and they hit this guy in his right arm. And, oh, uh, that's all? Yeah, that's it. I don't – honestly, I don't think that they really wanted to fucking kill anybody. Oh, yeah. After they've decided not to crash a plane in Oak Ridge. Mm-hmm. Um, so – Shoot this dude's arm. He starts freaking the fuck out. And so they get him off the plane, close up, and they leave. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I know. They're just like, well, he needs medical attention. Let's get the fuck out of here. So <laughs> this guy, they interviewed him later, and he goes, they told me they were going to kill me in front of everyone to make an example out of me. It's like, yeah, 
the FBI just shot out their tires. Like, what did you expect, dude? Yeah. Um, uh, he ended up getting like a compound fracture in his arm and they had to remove the bullet. But he lived. He was fine. He was, I mean, probably not fine. I yeah, yeah pretty traumatized. I shot in the arm on a plane <laughs> while I was just doing my job. <laughs> yeah. So they take off and uh, they were working on refueling at the Air Force Base. So they don't get everything full. They're like, we have to land in fucking Havana. Like, we there's not really another option. Mm-hmm. So uh, this forces the landing in Havana. And as soon as they land, Cuban authorities are like, uh, we don't give a fuck. We're storming your plane. You can kill all of the Americans on board. We don't give a shit. So all of the Cuban authorities rush onto the plane. Uh, during the during the landing, it was a rough fucking landing because they only have two tires to land with. Yeah, two tires and almost out of fuel. Yeah. So somebody broke their leg, somebody injured their knee, and uh, somebody like injured their head. But everybody lived. Oh, good. Yeah. It's fine. It'll be fine. Uh, and then authorities come on. <laughs> oh, God, I'm sorry. Bless you. Authorities come on and they capture uh, all three of them, put them in what uh, Pressure Points loves. A gulag? Almost labor camps in Cuba. Oh. Yeah. 10 out of 10, baby. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it it ended up being a 30-hour flight, which this was not the longest flight in history or in, in the longest hijacked flight in American history. That actually goes to Willie and uh, Catherine. They ended up having the longest flight in U.S. history. So just the a longest little, hijacked flight. Yes. Yes. God. Longest hijacked flight in U.S. history. So. Imagine being on a fucking plane that's been hijacked for 30 hours. Yeah, that sounds fucking terrible. I had like a... Being on an airplane for two hours, I hate. I When I flew back from, uh, where was it, Germany, we flew into Heathrow in London and then to Phoenix from there. Fuck, that's a I don't even flight. know. It was... Fuck, I, don't, I think it was like a 10 or 11 hour flight. I think. Fuck if I know. Um... It was horrible. And I'm like doing that by like three times. Fuck that. Yeah. No, that sounds fucking atrocious. Yeah, dude. Seriously. So uh, the three of them spent about eight years in Cuban labor camps. And Lewis Moore had his teeth pulled out and he spent 14 months in a cell that was welded closed. God damn. Yeah. They did dude. not like these people. No. I mean, they brought Cuba, them a lot of American like, money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, really. They have $2 million. Because uh, the <laughs> passengers on the plane were like, yeah, it, it kind of sucked because when we landed in Cuba and they took them captive, or not captive, when they arrested them, they. <laughs> repossessed all of the money that they had given to the passengers. And the guy was like, they gave me $250, but it was later taken away by the Cuban authorities. So they spend eight years in these these labor camps, which, dude, I can't even imagine how much of a hell they were. And Cuba and the U.S. come to a, like, small treaty, which was just astonishing for the time, uh, just so that they can bring these guys back 
to the U.S. so they can extradite him. So uh, they have their little peace treaty for like a day, probably hours, uh, fly these three guys back home, and uh, Mr. Moore's sons saw him for the first time on um, on TV when he was getting off of the plane from Cuba. And Damn. Both of them were interviewed, and they were like, honestly, we felt so proud of our dad at that moment. We were like, hell yeah. Like, he was standing up for what he fucking believed in. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, right? So, uh, they get back in 1980, and they are immediately taken to prison. No Yeah, way. surprise, surprise, I know. Uh, most of them, like, were charged for like 20, 25 years, but Lewis got out after seven years in the U.S., uh, for the hijacking. And all of this, this was the last one of the golden age of fucking hijacking. <laughs> uh, it led, this is what led to further checks on pre flight, like actually checking bags, <laughs> actually what? stopping people from bringing firearms on a fucking plane, checking suitcases that are big enough to have a bomb in it. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. Really, though. Maybe. I don't know. Um, now there was a guy on that last flight, uh, that was on flight 49 and his name was Santiago, Gen- uh, Genovese, I think I could be wrong. That sounds right. Yeah. So, uh, he was, uh, a scientist that was studying violence at the time. Um, and what drove people. Was he like a behavioral psychologist or something? Yeah, basically. But like he focused a lot on like he wanted to find a way of getting world peace. Like what drives these politicians to to push for wars? What drives them to be so spiteful? What What's causing these hijackings? And it's like, well. Now you got to, you know. Uh, first, problems uh, in the United States is what's causing stage, these fucking hijackings. Well, yeah. But now he has a front stage view of a couple of people who actually did it yeah and uh i watched his so i won't give away too many spoilers but i watched the documentary about the um the study that he performed uh and he said that it it wasn't like traumatizing for him but it was an eye-opening experience that he was just like yeah you know things have got to change and now i can probably finally get funding for my my experiment. Yeah, for some research. And yeah, shit. so um, not next week. That's AJ's episode. Yeah. But two weeks, uh, I'm going to be dropping his experiments and what Flight 49 led to um, in the summer of 1973, which, like, <laughs> it's Fucking weird, dude. So it's referred to as a sex raft experiment. <laughs> don't Google it. Yeah, don't Google it. Don't no look spoilers. it up. spoilers. Honestly, like, you could, uh, but you can't stream the documentary anywhere. If you want to buy it, go for it. Um, but, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I'm looking it's, forward it's to it. It's a weird one. It's, it's not as uh, wildly intense as this. It doesn't have... Uh, bombs three plane hijackings you're right just two yeah just two um, unfortunately <laughs> but yeah so i know it's a short one this week um no no we, we did good we're, cool. we're about 40, average not bad 
Um, but yeah, so note note to all you uh, activists out there, um, AJ. Yes. Don't hijack planes if you want to get your point across now. It's probably not going to work out so great. Um, I know. Fine. I know. Fine. I know. God. Um, but yeah. Fantastic. Fucking, I there and honestly, if you guys are interested in more of these fucking weird stories, it's like I said, there was one per week for like twelve years. Yeah, so I'm sure there are plenty so, of stories. Yeah, either fucking look them up yourself, or if you want another episode like this, I'd happily do it. Some of these yeah. were just weird as hell. I was like, what the fuck? Um. So yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a stuff. Fantastic. Uh, episode I love there's so many weird things like in the 60s and 70s like the uh, the it, that was like that was right in the range of the golden age of serial killers yeah like there was just a shitload of people just murdering people all the time I yeah I don't I don't get it but there was a lot of weird shit there's also some UFO flaps and shit like that down down there this is true yeah Oh yeah, yeah seven, it was, dude. I I I love really these old wish. like the old uh, airplane security was just. <laughs> hey, do you have a bomb? No. Okay, cool. What's that gun on your hip? It's mine. You gonna use it to kill anybody? Nah. I'll Air, take your word yeah. for it. You seem like a straight shooter. <laughs> That's the problem. Uh, bada bing. <laughs> but the uh, what was it? The the airports actually had like hijacking insurance. Really? Where they would get payouts if their planes got hijacked. So you totally, I, I can guarantee oh, that, yeah. that they were just like, yeah, fuck it. Let's uh, let's commit some insurance fraud and go for it. Yeah, no, it's beautiful, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> 10 out of 10. <clears throat> All oh, right. God. Well, you know, check us out. Instagram and Twitter, Points of Pressure. You can find us on Patreon. There's a link down in the little description down here. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel. We don't do much whenever we do like a live episode. Yeah. It's on there. Um, and then it, it's usually like you can find the past episodes down there. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot. Now these episodes are also being posted just on YouTube. to the YouTube. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. To the YouTube. The, to the YouTubes. YouTubes. So thanks. Thanks our uh, fantastic executive producers. We got <laughs> D's Nuts, Nordic Thunder, Sexual Vanilla. Dark Runner, Haley, and Casey McFacey. Oh, thanks, Thank you guys, guys. so much, much for all your support. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week for some just horrible back to basics yeah, World War ba- II shit. Back to uh, some not so happy endings. <laughs> yeah, I, oh. I threw it off this week a little you bit. You did. But, you uh, did. Yeah, we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks again.